Hi, this is Pastor Wilson with Renew Church OC. Thanks for joining our podcast. We're walking through the book of Luke, thinking about what it means to follow Jesus, to see the world the way he does, and to integrate his patterns into our life. I hope you enjoyed the sermon today. I also wanted to point you to the description section where you can find the church's website. We would love for you to visit our church and consider investing in our ministry. There's two other links. One is a podcast that I do with a therapist at Renew Church, and we kick around issues like dating, mental health, and friendships. And lastly, there's a children's book series and a journal that I wrote with my wife and my mentor, and would love for you to look at those resources as well. Thank you so much for being a part of the Renew Church family, and I hope that you enjoy the sermon today. God bless. All right, I'm thinking about a chaotic season of my life. Um, I had been finished. I had been serving at an English ministry of a Chinese church for about ten years, and the last couple years became really difficult. Me and my pastor, we just started not seeing eye to eye on all the major things, like I don't know, theology and <laughs> philosophy of ministry and just everything. So, anyways, he sent me to obedience school. I mean,、um, the theological training school in Singapore, which I felt like was obedience school because it's high conformity. And at the end of the day, his stated goal was, "I just want you to do what I say." I'm like, "Okay, I know why I'm here." And then when I came back,、uh, we continued to have ruptures in our relationship, and it was super difficult. And then, and at the end of the day, he fired me, and、um, and I felt lost, and I was just kind of floating a little bit. And then on the school side, I was trying to finish my master's in divinity, and I had a really difficult time in Greek. And so I failed my first Greek test in or or class in Greek two. And then I got diagnosed with ADHD, and I took Adderall. And I was like, this is why I couldn't pass. And then I took the class again, and I failed a second time. <laughs> and I realized it wasn't the ADHD; it was just me. I can't do it. Now I repeat that joke a lot. But I like it because it's funny and sad at the same time, <laughs> and it's hard to find those jokes.、Um, so during this te- season, I felt lost. I felt dumb, which is like a huge trigger for me. And、um, I was just floating around, and I was super grateful in that moment to meet my wife Nina. So the next slide is one of our first dates.、Uh, we went to like this Asian eatery. I know we were kids. And、um, and then there were photo booths, and I got really excited. I dragged her to take photo booth pictures with me. That's me cussing in Japanese. I don't know what it actually says, but use some creativity there. And then the next slide is us going rock climbing, and there's like this tunnel system, and we and we went through that.、Um, in the next slide, <clears throat> so Liam said that looks like a tiny beard. <laughs> I had to explain him what a soul patch is. He's like, it's like a tiny beard on your face. I'm like, that's all I can do. And then the last slide is us celebrating a friend's birthday. Some of my old friends were there, and、um, and I held Nina's hand for the first time. She wasn't even my girlfriend. I was making moves. I remember holding her hand in the car, and then we're eating with our friends. I held her hand under a table, and it was amazing. And I thought about how、um, how much I. I put stakes on her and our relationship. How I I was like leaning on her to give me purpose again, 
leaning on her to give me worth when I felt worthless at work and school, leaning on her to, to um, give me a direction and where I should go next. I put so much weight on our relationship. And I think for the first year or so, it felt like she could hold all of those things and, and float me. In this next slide, Jesus ends this passage with this one line. It's, it's the only line he says in, in, um, in this passage. And it's, he says, where is your faith? And I think about what that little line means in the middle of the boat sinking, the disciples screaming, him calming the ocean. He looks at them and he says, where is your faith? When we think about faith, maybe one of the easiest concepts is trust. In the chaos, when things are going awry, where are you placing your trust? What do you think will anchor you and settle you and give you purpose again? What, what do you believe will deliver you from, from this chaos? What will comfort you? So we're going to think about where our faith lies as we look at this passage. In Luke chapter 8, verse 22 to 23, it says, One day he and his disciples got into a boat, and he told them, Cross over to the other side of the lake. So they set out, and as they were sailing, he fell asleep. Then a fierce windstorm came down on the lake. They were being swamped and, there, and were in danger. They came and woke him up, saying, Master, Master, we are going to die. One day, um, let's see, then he got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, so they ceased and there was calm. He said to them, where is your faith? They were fearful and amazed, asking one another, who then is this? He commands even the wind and the waves, and they obey him. So I'm just going to walk through this passage and make some observations the first observation in verse 22 is that he is the one who asks them to go over the lake. He calls them into the boat to set sail. I'm not sure how much foreknowledge Jesus has, being fully man and fully God, fully God, but I do see over and over again how God calls us into difficult places. Sometimes we're there because of our sin or the sin of another. Sometimes we're in a hard place because of the fallen world we live in. And sometimes, like Jesus, the Spirit leads him into the wilderness to be tempted. Or the good shepherd is taking his sheep into the valley of the shadow of death in order for us to trust him deeper or to work on our character or to cling to him. So Jesus calls his disciples on the other side. And then he falls asleep. He sleeps through a fierce windstorm. And I'm thinking about this windstorm and how the boat's starting to take on water and sink how the disciples are starting to panic, and where their trust is, is in that time. If I was um, Matthew, the text collector, or Luke, a physician, I would look to the sailors of the group, Peter, James, and John, sons of Zebedee, and I would say, okay, you guys have navigated this sea before. What do we do? How can I help? How many buckets can I fill and toss out? And then I imagine how fran frantic they were running up and down the boat and facing the greatest storm of their life. The topography of the Sea of Galilee lend itself to violent storms. So it was in this valley and there's this mountain range around it. And because of that, it caused a wind funnel through the river and into the lake and 
the ocean or the, the sea would rip, whip up very violently and very suddenly. So this was the kind of storm they were caught in. And Jesus is sleeping all the way through. So I'm thinking about this image and I'm wondering about moments in my life where I felt like there was chaos and I was out of control and how in the same way, often Jesus is, is near but quiet. Often Jesus is close by, but he's not imposing himself. He doesn't take over the situation. He doesn't dominate. And like the disciples, I could run past him, bump into him, hurdle his body sleeping, and not think about waking him up for help. Have you been in those situations like the disciples where you've exhausted all of your resources, your energy, your strength, your courage, and then you see Jesus lying there? By the time the disciples wake Jesus up, they're not asking him for help in this uh, version, right? In the other gospels, they call out, Lord, save me. But here, I think Luke is just trying to highlight their fear and their desperation and, and their, the smallness of their faith. They're simply announcing to Jesus that we're all going to die. That's how they wake him up. It wasn't, it wasn't a call of faith. It wasn't a call to action. It was just informing you that Jesus, you too are going to perish with us. So that's the very small or possible non-existent faith that the disciples are displaying. He got up and he rebuked the wind and the raging waves, so they ceased and there was a calm. And I think about this moment where Jesus being the very words of God, being the logos, is the one who creates heaven and earth. He's the one who separates the sky and the sea. He parts the land and creates the oceans. And this, the same water and wind that heard his voice in creation hears it again, and it obeys him. There's a personification of the, the waves and the wind. In the last three parts of Luke, we talked about the truth and the life-changing effect of Jesus' words, the, how the word of God is to bear fruit in us, how the word of God is light that exposes us and either we're drawn to it or we run away. How the word of God um, from last week calls us into action. But in the next three parts of, of Luke, we see how the word of God is just straight powerful. That it, it is what everything obeys. Life and death, nature, sickness, demons, that the word of God has authority. And that's what's demonstrated here. Finally, they were fearful and amazed, uh, asking one, one another, who then is this? He commands even the wind and the waves, and they obey him. And again, we take our focus on this little phrase, where is your faith? Where are we placing our faith in the middle of the storm? Now, I want to suggest to you that the greatest place we place our faith as a society um, in this generation is in love. And I experienced that throughout my 20s and teens, that I believed that love and finding a partner, someone who would journey through life with me, would be what solved pretty much every problem of my life. It would give me purpose. It would stabilize me. It would um, give me 
a person to go to for comfort and deliverance. And that's what Ernest Becker talks about in The Denial of Death. And Tim Keller quotes him in Counterfeit Gods. He lays it out so beautifully. Ernest Becker is a, is a sociologist, and he's speaking to um, America transitioning away from religion. Not only Christianity, but kind of religion in general, becoming atheists. And he's asking the question, if we remove religion and God and faith from our lives, what do we go to for purpose? What do we cling to for, um, for significance? When we want a storyline beyond ourselves, what will we reach for? And he suggests this concept of the romantic solution, that it's in romance and love that people will place their faith. So let me read this to you. The love partner becomes the divine ideal within which to fulfill one's life. All spiritual and moral needs now become focused in one individual. After all, what is it that we want when we elevate the love partner to the position of God? We want redemption, nothing less. We want to rid, be rid of our flaws, of our feelings of nothingness. We want to be justified, to know that our creation has not been in vain. We turn to the love partner for the experience of, of the heroic, of perfect validation. We expect them to make us good through love. Now, as I thought about uh, this concept and spoke a lot to Rika, she's a sex addiction therapist and someone that I've been looking for for a long time because we've talked a lot about pornography and sex addiction that way. But I know that for women, there are similarities and differences in how they experience this. And, and as I'm thinking about how this is probably the greatest thing our society, whether Christian or non-Christian, is reaching for in terms of where we place our faith and significance and purpose, I asked Rika to come and just explain a little bit to us about love addiction and share a story. And then she's actually opening up a workshop for us as well. So Rika, do you mind coming up? Okay. Keep keep talking and then it will turn on. It will magically turn on. Oh, sorry. Um, any other mic we should use? Do you guys want to point to a mic for us? I didn't let them know that this was happening, so <laughs> it looks like it's their fault, but it's really my fault. Check, check, one, two. That one? Hello. Oh, okay. there you go. Thanks, Larry. <laughs> um, so my husband said that you guys couldn't hear me, so... I'm Rika Lopez. Um, I'm a licensed marriage family therapist, and I uh, specialize in trauma and addiction. And it's a privilege to um, be here. So thank you, Pastor Wilson. Um, so talk on love addiction. Uh, this is based on Pia Melody's book, Facing Love Addiction. And the author talks about how these patterns are uh, seen not just in like romantic relationship, but it can be seen in like parent, uh, child, friend, boss, celebrity, and so forth. But for today, I guess we'll um, keep it within that romantic context or someone who you're pursuing. 
Um, so based on Pia Melody, when love addicts assign a disproportionate amount of time, attention, and value above themselves to the person to whom they are addicted. And this focus often has an obsessive quality about it. Two, love addicts have unrealistic expectations for unconditional positive regard from the other person in the relationship. Three, love addicts neglect to care for or value themselves while they're in the relationship. Um, I'm gonna read through the signs and symptoms of love, love addiction, um, but before that, I wanna reference Jeremiah 17:9, which says, the heart is deceitful above all things. Again, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? And why I reference this is because um, a lot of our, like we're very much deceived by our feelings and emotions. And I think society teaches, do what makes you happy, right? Do what you feel like doing. But here the word says that our hearts are desperately sick. So let me read uh, the signs and symptoms. Love addicts are obsessive and preoccupied about their person. When I say their person, it's the person you're romanticizing over or pursuing. Um, love addicts are mentally, emotionally, physically needy, demanding of their person. And some examples of this is someone who's like constantly checking their social media, Instagram, TikTok, what have you, um, stalking and obsessing over um, the person's feeds and stories. Love addicts see a higher power in their person with no defect or flaws. Love addicts expect to be rescued and saved from their wounded self by their person. So there's this idolizing or idealizing of the person feeling happy when they're around or when you're talking with them, feeling um, irritable, angry mm. when, when they're not around or when you're not connected with them. Love addicts are attracted to those who avoid commitment and healthy connection and intimacy. So example of this is someone who's constantly going from one dating app to another, going on hookup apps, looking for that quick high, that dopamine, dopamine release, that euphoric experience with zero depth and connection. Love addicts neglect to care for self and devalue self. So things that are you know, in the back burner are like goals or responsibilities, work, friendship, community. Those are all neglected because of the obsession. Um, love addict fears, abandonment, and intimacy. So this is more uh, going towards, I guess, where it's stemming from. Uh, love addicts have a painful childhood where caregivers uh, neglected or abandoned them. Love addicts turn, turn to their idealized person to fill that void, emptiness from childhood trauma and loss. So due to these losses, addicts continue to escape reality by living in a world of fantasy, replaying that chase, that romance, such as, you know, like co constantly watching ra romantic movies or K-drama. Not that there's nothing wrong with K-drama. No, my wife. <laughs> <laughs> listening to romantic songs and all of that. And so that leads to a lot of these false intimacies, which also leads to porn addiction and compulsive masturbation to mm. self-soothe, to self-please, because they want that quick high again. Yeah, thank you. Do you have a story or example of um, someone yeah. who might be struggling with that? So, um, yeah, there's a number of, of male and female clients that I work with um, that, yeah, it, it just, what, what I just listed, it really describes them where they're constantly looking for that person. They hate being alone. 
they always are um, needing and demanding of attention, um, and they go on you know their Instagram or TikTok and constantly looking for someone to hook up with, you know, or someone to um, just yeah just date one after another, um, and and then after that they feel that crash, you know, they feel depressed or lonely because mm. it's so fleeting and short-lived. It's all superficial. Uh, and then that cycle just repeats itself again. Uh, and it's really sad to see. It is. Um, so I think, um, yeah, them not being able to have that uh, intimate connection, that, that's what they're after because of that fear of intimacy that's healthy and uh, their fear of abandonment that they'll settle. Right? even if it's a toxic person or a destructive person. Hmm. Um, and as we go into, I guess, the faith integration piece, I also want to read Jeremiah 2.13, which says, My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. And a lot of this that um, I described I think in our brokenness, we, you know, create those broken cisterns. That that's us. We we can't it can't hold any water, and so that's why there's a need for that perfect savior. Jesus. Uh, thank you so much, Rika. Um, can you just share a little bit about the workshop that um, you're offering to our church? Again, I think about 2020. We had a sex addiction workshop that Roy Kim led, and it was amazing. We had over 20 guys and 20 gals. Um, and, and I remember three years ago talking to a woman and saying, hey, I really hope to find a Rika for you one day. And so here you are, you're willing to generously offer a workshop. So can you just share a little bit about that and how they can sign up? Sure. Um, so I'm hoping that two Sundays from now we could do just like a meet and greet um, at, um, I forget which room. Uh, but <laughs> the we'll teacher's lounge teacher's upstairs. Lounge, yeah. uh, and just kind of... Um, maybe hear from, I guess, the uh, people that visit, um, you know, what kind of support they need, um, what kind of resource they need, and, and go from there. And so after that, I'm hoping to lead um, an online workshop for an hour, um, I believe. I'm hoping for like the first three Saturdays um, in October to do just a, you know, a, a teaching on um, what love addiction is, kind of go more further into it, um, you know, ways to, uh, yeah, cope with, I guess, that addiction cycle um, and, and talk about some resources and, uh, yeah, and just learn more about, um, you know, the, the root of it. Because I think a lot of it stems from our childhood. And mm -hmm. I would love to create just that safe environment um, and a trusting environment where people can talk about some of those pains. Um, and so, yeah, if anyone's interested, um, please come and talk to me and yeah, we'll send out information. Thank you so much, Rika. Appreciate you. All right, uh, next slide is um, my wedding day. And um, we had about 400 people at our wedding because we have a lot of friends, and, um, and it was massive, and we, we, we loved the wedding. We ate a ton of food, we, we danced, uh, we drank a lot, 
uh, her bridesmaids were all like splattered on the floor. So it was, a, it was a great time. To sum it up, it was a great time. But then the rest of that first year was actually really difficult. Uh, we moved into my uncle's house and my parents. We were living off of my one part-time job. And I remember our bedroom, our king-size bed touched pretty much all four walls. So we would like get into the bed from outside the room or just kind of dive in from the hallway. And, um, and during that time, Nina spent a lot of time in the bed because she felt really depressed that first year. She felt like she was pulled out of her world into mine. And mine was unstable and chaotic. Um, she left her church where she was a rising star in, in children's ministry. She did a celebration Easter with kind of like a v- little VBS during Easter time, 300 kids. She was preaching to them, leading songs. She was getting recruited by her churches. She had a, a radio program doing devotionals, over 300 of them. So she was just doing amazing. And I said, come to my church and just sit there, right? So, so, so much of what she was good at, she was pulled away from. And then um, her friends that were her bridesmaids just abandoned her. We're not sure why. But they just stopped talking to her after she got married. Pretty sure it was me, because before me, they were doing great. After me, not so good. And so I think during that time, um, she went to her mentor, who gave her these great words. She said, great girls don't have to give up much to marry. Oh, wait, sorry. Yeah. Uh, Guys don't have to give up much to marry a great girl. But girls have to give up everything to marry an okay guy. And so that was, those were her comforting words. Um, and as the year went on, I, we just started to let go of all the things we thought romance would solve, that it wasn't enough to give us purpose, that I wasn't enough to make her happy. She wasn't enough to make me feel fulfilled. And in that first year, um, we struggled a lot, but... I remember some really sweet walks in the summer around our neighborhood where we would just pray and talk to God as if he was walking right next to us. I remember moments sitting on our room bed and just reading Bible verses and praying together. We didn't do it perfectly. We didn't do it every day. But we were looking for Jesus um, in ways that I hadn't looked for him before. When I look at this, we're going to finish off with Matthew chapter 14, the second time that the disciples are in a boat in the middle of a storm. It's about a year later. And I love the story because I see the progress they make in their journey with God. The first time he's, he's sleeping and they ignore him and they use all of their strength. And the second time they see him. The boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by waves because of the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it is you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why do you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. 
And then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the son of God. In the next slide, I just want to point out some of the differences. Um, in the first time that they went through a storm, the second time is about a year later, they didn't see Jesus. But in Matthew 14, and this is a stretch, right? This is a stretch, but just let me, just let me reach for this application. They spot Jesus walking on water, Jesus dash a ghost. And maybe, maybe they were looking for him. Maybe, maybe they, they remembered the last storm they, they were in, and they started to look for Jesus in the middle of the storm. And I wonder when we go through some of the same pain points of our life, feeling rejected, feeling out of control, feeling like we're not sure how to make ends meet. But it, but it happened before. It happened before, and we have enough miles under our belt as a disciple. We're like, Jesus brought us out from here before. How can I start looking for Jesus in the middle of the storm too? And then when they find Jesus, when, when he announces himself to them, um, they're not... They're not just telling him he's going to die this time. Also, he's walking on water. But instead, Peter asks to walk out of the boat with him. And there's a sense that he believes he's safer with Jesus in the water than he is in the boat. There's a sense that he understood Jesus' call, come follow me. Right? His, his most fundamental call is a call to himself. And Peter obeyed it. If you're on the water... I want to be there too. And I wonder what it's like to go to Jesus in the middle of our storm and not ask for the storm to stop, but just ask to be near him, to be with him, to experience him in the middle of it. So with great faith, Peter walks on water. And then with a diminishing faith, he starts to sink down. Uh, the winds and the waves catch his attention again. He loses contact with Jesus. He feels afraid, and he starts to sink. And then he cries out, Lord, help me, and Jesus pulls him out. And isn't that so much of how we ride the storms? Moments of great triumphant faith and moments of weak faith where we're just crying out. But Jesus is faithful in both, isn't he? He's faithful when we're just asking for help when we're proclaiming our death, and when we're saying, Jesus, let me walk on water. And lastly, I love that the disciples worshiped him. The first time, they asked, who is this? And they were surprised. The second time, they knew who he was. He's God. And they worshiped Jesus. I wonder if we can just start taking some of the steps even in imperfect faith, right? Jesus doesn't say, hey, great faith. He says, still little faith, you know, still little faith. Why did you doubt? But, but he led them through it. And I, I know that my faith is still small in storms, but I wonder if it can just take that next step. I wonder if we can take that next step of saying, God, I know you're here. How do I see you in, in the chaos? Um, I believe that I could draw near you in the middle of the storm, even before it ends. Some storms are years. Joseph, 13 years in prison. 
Some storms are a lifetime. But Jesus, we can always follow Jesus in the middle of it. And then thirdly, worship. What does it look like to worship him? We're going to break out into small groups once again. I would love for you to pray for each other. Um, and here are some of the questions that we would love for, to guide your time. Where is Jesus in the storms of your life? Just Maybe it's a new question. Maybe it's a very old one. But I wonder if we could spot him when we feel lost, when we feel out of control, whether it's an internal storm of emotions um, or mental unhealth, or whether it's external conflict, work, family, church. And then what, does, what do we need to let go of in order to hold on to him? Thanks so much for joining us today. We're really grateful that you'd spend time listening to the sermon series. And we also wanted to point you to a few other resources. My wife and I wrote a children's book collection helping kids bridge their faith with God's calling in their life as a businessman, as a doctor, a nurse, and as a creative. Secondly, we wrote an adulting journal which helps young adults think through this transition into adulthood, whether it's transitions in friendship, family, faith, or calling. And lastly, I want to point to a podcast that myself and another church member, Roy Kim, who's a therapist, co-host together. It's called The Same Boat. We talk about relationships. We just finished um, a series on dating. We think back to an English ministry church, and we just tackle all kinds of topics that are relevant to our life. I hope that uh, those resources enrich your life as well. And lastly, if you're looking to partner with us, on our website, we have a give section. You could give to our general fund and continue to serve our church through, um, through partnering with us financially. But if you scroll down, we have quite a few local missionaries that have called Renew Home. If you read their bio, there's also a section to give to each one of our local missionaries. We hope that all of them would be fully funded going into this year. God bless you. Thanks so much for being with us and uh, hope to hear, hope to uh, have you join us again.